Hi guys, welcome back to the original Judo podcast and we are setting off on, I'm going to call it our, our second season, start of a new Olympic cycle, brand new podcast, whole new level of professionalism being brought to the show. Um, and to start us off, I think I've probably got the biggest possible interview I could get. I'm going to massively bigger up, I hope. Um, she's a double Olympic medalist. Uh, she's got five world medals. She's the only British woman to go to four Olympics. She's the only British woman to win two Olympic medals. She carried the flag in Athens. Hopefully it's obvious who I'm talking about. We're talking about the amazing Kate Howie. Kate, how are you doing? Kate Howie MBE. I'm doing well, thank you, James. Not too bad at all. Thank you. <laughs> and um, thanks for the intro, but I must just correct you because if people are listening and they probably would correct you. Karina's also done four Olympic games. Oh, I, I thought she had. And then <laughs> yeah. all I could find online was it was you. Yeah. Karina, Karina, I'm sorry. We'll have to get you on to correct the correct the facts. I'm going to delete <laughs> this so we can't get Kate correcting me. I'll delete this and then um, get Karina <laughs> pulling you up about it later on. Yeah, exactly. Um. So hopefully that's enough of intro. You've been a feature of British judo for, well, going back for a long, long time. Like How long? Yeah. 33? 33 years, yeah. As wow. a fighter and a coach. So. And you retired in 2004? Yep. Yep. Following on the Olympic Games. Um, bit of a break in terms of being a part of the GB setup. No. You, coaching down ah well Not look at this really look well. at my research you've yeah. shot me at <laughs> basically two minutes in whole new podcast bragging about my professionalism i've got nothing right <laughs> so basically i obviously i think i finished judo in about october 2004 but i'd already been employed by british judo as a uh what was it called uh development coordinator or something down in Bath from the April so I already was in position from 2004 sort of thing because I knew ah, that okay. I was going to finish after the game so obviously I didn't have a break and part of me now thinks perhaps I should have had a break but obviously went straight into coaching from competing. And then eight years later uh, became Olympic coach. Well, say eight years later for the London cycle, you're Olympic coach, and you also coached at three Olympics. Yeah, yeah. Went out to 2008 as a mentor for Karina, and then actually as a coach from 2012 onwards. Oh, amazing. Um, so we're gonna we'll split this up. We'll talk about you <laughs> as a, a a player. We'll talk a little bit about you as a coach. Um, we'll get into the deep dark secrets of British judo I'm sure <laughs> um but I wanted to start off like I ask everybody this like how did you get started in judo like how did I don't know five or six year old Kate Howie get started in judo and yeah, did you know I... you were going to go on to be like did you no. always know you wanted to be an Olympian an Olympic medalist not not really um my dad did judo so obviously I always wanted to go along to judo so that I could stay up late at night or one <laughs> night a week anyway. Um, so for my seventh birthday, he said, right, for your birthday, you can come to judo, you can start judo. So that's how I got into it. And obviously 
the reason for it was just to stay up late. Um, <laughs> and then uh, from there, I think I was probably, I don't know, about a good fair few years after he said, you're going to be good at this. We need to to like take this quite seriously. And I was just like, yeah, dad, whatever. Um, like, like you do at that age, you just want to, well, I was doing all sorts of sports, just knocking around, playing football, cricket, golf, whatever, and then judo in the evening. So uh, just fell into it, really, because my dad did it. Amazing. And then when when did you become aware that you like you were a good player obviously you've said your dad was a your dad was judo and he felt you had a lot of potential but when did you become aware that you maybe had a career in the sport um possibly not a career but I probably realized I was obviously you win national championships and stuff but you don't think about it as a career and I obviously was winning them from I don't know 13 onwards but you don't think of it as a career but then I won the junior worlds when I was 16 and obviously that was around about the time of leaving school. So I was like, oh, okay, that could, could do this. And Roy Inman was the coach at that point. And obviously he wanted me to go and train full time at Fairhome. Um, okay. Heathrow. Um, so I was like, mm, I could do it. Could, I could do this. I'm not too, obviously junior, world, junior European champion. I'm not too bad at it. Um, obviously broke my mom's heart because she wanted me to go to uni and stuff, which, <laughs> At that point, was obviously I was just judo, 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 and then went back to uni, funny enough, which made her happy. Um, so yeah, it was probably around about 15, 16 that I thought, yeah, I could could do this, and the rest is history, really. That was it, full time from about 16 onwards. So, like, are you uh, talking about the junior worlds, like, of all your amazing achievements, like, junior worlds was under 20, under 21. It was under, I think, in my era, because it changed, doesn't it? It changes all the yeah. time from 19 to 20 to 21. I think when I did, it was under 19. So, And I think it was under 21 for men, under 19 for women. Of, again, at 16, um, going into that event, do you, are you aware of, like, how big that is? And I know we're going back a long time. And are you aware that as a 16-year-old, you, you can't have been favoured to win a Junior Worlds at that stage, maybe looking at future ones? Yeah, no, I, I obviously at, at that age it's massive, isn't it? You do you do think, oh god, this is the biggest thing I've ever done. <laughs> um, but I think even from from that sort of age, just sort of took it in my stride because it, it was just judo, and that's always how I've looked at it. It's just judo. It's it's not like it's not like a life or death situation. So you know, it's just judo. We we'll see how it goes. And and to tell you the truth, James, I had a shocker, shocker of a day. <laughs> Won, won every fight on a decision like <laughs> win judo like that in them days so every fight was a decision and I'd never like even as a youngster I used to do big throws and stuff so I'd never been in that situation so it was a it was a shocker of a day but ended up winning it um and then from there just carried on really amazing so you you've thrown out a name already another legend of british judo roy inman um what was it like or what was the training setup like when you move over there to to go and train full-time so obviously i um because it was in Fairhome and i live in a little country it's a village but <laughs> really um in andover so you used to have to get the train i couldn't drive at that age obviously you used to get the train up each week stay there monday to friday and then go home for the weekends um but Walking into that as a 16, 17 year old girl, you've got Diane Bell, Karen Briggs, Sharon Randall, 
Anne Hughes. It's just like, oh my God. I didn't speak probably for about three years because I wasn't <laughs> that much in awe. I was just like one of, I was the youngest, the youngest in there, but obviously one of the biggest. And then also I think the nearest in my age group was Nick Fairbrother. So everybody used to train, you know, five days a week. And then I used to go home at the weekend, but it was, it was, it was a fantastic experience. And Roy, back in them days, was ahead of his game and very innovative. As I think, is probably one of the first coaches to ever use music. He always had music yeah. on, um, and also video analysis. Although back in the day, it was Betamax and then VHF. <laughs> He's forever had a, had a camcorder in his hand and stuff. So, you know, it was it was a great training group, and obviously one that as a youngster going into that, I learned a lot about being professional and, and stuff like that because they were all world champions and stuff it's just yeah. like, oh, there's little me at 16 year olds like like a rabbit in headlights yeah well it, again that's that's like a who's who of british judo <laughs> yeah, legends. That's yeah. Crazy. at 16 exactly. you must have been um yeah very much oh my god who did you look up to who who were the players like you um, looked up to as a as a youngster so I think everybody, well, my era anyway, when I was very, very young was Karen Briggs and, and Neil yeah. Adams. And then obviously once I started training in that group, it was Diane Bell yeah. and she became my training partner as well. And then really ironically, then became my coach through through the games. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a bit surreal, really, that that sort of continuity sort of went through my career. Um, so once Roy finished, it was then Diane who was my training partner. So... That worked out quite well for me. <laughs> so as a as an athlete, you had four Olympic Games. Um, yeah. You brought back two uh, two medals. Like, does any of the Olympics stand out for you as being like particularly? I think memories? I think every, everyone stands out for a different reason. Yeah. Um, see, Barcelona was my first one. <clears throat> Managed to get a medal at nineteen. Um, it's like walking into the the opening ceremony and thinking, "Oh my God, I'm going to wet myself. This is amazing!" Like, <laughs> just like don't ask me why I was going to wet myself. I was just like overcome. I was just like, "Wow!" Um, and then to get a medal was uh, was the icing on the cake. Really, I think Sydney was the first time that Team GB was Team GB in terms of everybody was mingling with everybody. It wasn't like just athletics or swimming or judo or rowing. It was more of a community thing. It was like we were all behind one another. And again, medal helped. But then Athens was pretty special because I carried the flag, uh, although I had a shocker of a day. Um, carrying the flag out in the opening ceremony is another experience that not many people tend to get. So they're all special for different reasons. Apart from Atlanta, was it was it was bad from the word go, really. Oh, right. Okay. So we, we, we come back, we'll come back to Atlanta <laughs> because that sounds interesting. <laughs> no. So what, what was it like carrying the flag? Again, that was your fourth games. Did you, did you know, you've already said you knew you were going to be finishing not too long after the games. Did you yeah. know you were going to get the opportunity to carry the flag? No, I think it goes to like a, a vote between different sports and they always, they put a name forward and then obviously it gets picked. Um, and we were in a holding camp in Cyprus, I think it was. And they said, oh, Kate, you, you need to fly to, to Athens a day or two days before with Udo. I was like, okay. And then obviously I still didn't understand what was going on. You don't ask too many questions, do you? Um, <laughs> were, you, uh, then, uh, were you annoyed by it? Were you annoyed by the request to go out a couple of days earlier? 
No, not go, really. Oh, God, just took go. it in my stride, really. I sort of, I heard, I heard an inkling that there was, it, it, I could be carrying the flag, but obviously oh, I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and then ended up in the village. Um, and then we had to go to a, a function with Princess Anne, uh, where she was going to announce who was going to be carrying the flag. Oh, wow. So I'm talking to, because obviously I've been to a few games, I'm talking to a guy called Charlie that used to do the kit. Yeah. I said, Charlie, what you got in here, in your bag? Why are you taking a bag to like a official function? He was like, oh, it's just a, it's just a blow up dogs. It's somebody's birthday. I was like, oh yeah, me being me, <laughs> being naive. I was like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so then uh, they announced it. So I have to go up onto the stage and... Uh, be presented with it with a certificate and stuff by princess Anne, and i'm still gobsmacked at this point i'm just like what is going on so then i've come off the stage and charlie went take this bag i went i don't want that bag it's a blow-up doll he went no it's your kid so that you can go and then uh, take pictures with the flag but obviously couldn't tell you before <laughs> left to take your kit i was like all right i've got you now so uh, that's how it happened and you know it was one of those moments that walking into a stadium of 80,000 people and millions watching on the telly. All I was thinking was don't drop it. Don't drop it. Cause that would be, yeah, would be a, didn't want to make an ass of myself. So. Um, oh, that's absolutely incredible. <laughs> um, yeah, amazing. So let's, let's go, let's go back to your, your, your kind of two medal performances then. So you, you win the bronze at 19, uh, yeah. eight years later, um, you win a silver. Yeah. Um, what is it about Cubans? <laughs> Cubans and me don't mix, do they? <laughs> no, I mean, you ended up fighting two of the like greatest yeah. Cubans of all time. Um, yeah. Varanes, exactly. um, is it, I'm going to butcher this name, Heavy Jimenez. I think Reve, yeah. both were, both were coached by, were they both coached by Ronaldo? Ronaldo, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Let's talk about 92. Uh, 92. 19. What yeah. were you what were you expecting from that games? What, what was it just meant well, to be the taste of Well, yeah, everybody says it's your first games and you know you're doing well just to get there blah blah blah. But I went to the worlds the year before and got a bronze. So in my head I was like look if I match that that would be amazing. Especially like it's Olympic games it's although it's not bigger than the worlds the prestige is bigger than the worlds. So Obviously, as the day progressed, um, had the Cuban in the semi and uh, I lost on a split decision. So I've looked at the corner flag that I can see and he's gone my way. And then I'm like, oh, please, just somebody else go my way. And But then obviously I lost it two to one. But um, it was very close. But it's one of them fights where it could have gone either way. And you know that either one of us would have been happy either way. You know, if you lose, if you win. Yeah, giving it everything. It's been a good, uh, yeah. yeah. And then I had a French girl for the bronze that, um, and then I won that. I think it was on a Wazari in the end. Um, <laughs> double leg crab came out of the bag. Um, <clears throat> and then that was it. Like, obviously, just burst out crying on the mat because at that age, you can't really take it in, James. If I'm honest, it's one of them that you're just at the end of the day, you're tired, you're hungry because obviously at that. At that point, I didn't really understand too much about weight making either. So I probably didn't do it the best. Well, I know I didn't do it the best. <laughs> and uh, you're just like, oh, my God, has this actually happened? And then you get caught up in this whole whirlwind of going to do interviews and stuff and things like that. And because I was so young, people wanted to talk. Um, so, yeah, it was... I can remember 
um, I was like, right, I need to see, I need to see my dad. Like, because you get whisked away and like you have to go drug testing and stuff. And I was like, this, I need to see my dad. So I went up to, uh, in the stadium, there was a, there's a bar area. And uh, of course, my whole family are in the bar drinking. Roy's in the bar drinking. They're all having a party. And I'm just like, oh my God, didn't even <laughs> want to see me, did they? I was like, okay, I've just come to say hello. <laughs> I get whisked away and they're all having it, having it large in the, in the, uh, in the bar so it was like I can remember just loads of plastic cups everywhere of people drinking and all getting married so like it was, it was brilliant it was really good does, does it does winning a bronze medal feel different from winning a silver yeah. because because you win the medal effectively and I, again I know you you talk about it as a player and I, I'm a silver medal is an absolutely incredible achievement. You got to an Olympic final, but does it feel different because of the way you get the that final result? I think, obviously, it looks different on paper. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, but I can honestly say, hand hand on heart, that for Sydney, I couldn't have given any more. And that I think ultimately, if you know that you've left something out on the mat, you, you always have the what ifs, and you won't you're thinking, oh, I could have got gold, could have got gold. Mm. It should have been gold, perhaps. But I gave everything and I trained, the training went well. Everything was 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 really good. And I couldn't have done any more. She was just better on the day, James. And I hold yeah. my hand up to that. So actually winning us, I say winning a silver, even though you lose because you get silver, it didn't feel any different to yeah. winning the bronze. Um, that might be different for other people because they might feel that they've left something out there, but I genuinely had nothing else to give. Amazing. So, like, again, and, and coming back to the Cubans, coming into that final yeah. and knowing that you've got Varanis, um, who's, <laughs> she's, did she win the Worlds the year before? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And, like... She beat like, me, funny enough, in the semi again. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Are you aware, like, are you aware of, like, 92? Are you aware of losing to the Cuban who went on to win it? Like, is that something that plays into your kind of mindset as you're going out there? Or are you, like, just focused on putting everything uh, out there? I don't think so. I think the era that I was in as well, James, the Cubans were probably, apart from Britain, one of the top, and France, the top nations in the world. Yeah. I mean, Japan weren't even that good at that point. They were good, don't get me wrong, but they weren't as strong as like that Cuban team was was strong. So each time you had a Cuban, you were like you knew that it was going to be one hell of a fight. And I'd beaten Grands and she'd beaten me, so it was a it was a 50-50. So it's one of them where you know you can win it, but you also know that you can lose it. Um, and I think halfway through. I put a juji on and it just slipped. And I knew at that point that was the moment that I just lost the final, even though there was still a couple of minutes on the clock, I knew that that was my opportunity and it had gone. Yeah. Because um, I went down by Wazari in the first, I think it was the first 20 seconds, something like that, something stupid. Not to do an Uchimata. And what did I do? An Uchimata and got countered. Um, so, you know, it's, it was always going to be a fight and it was a fight. And at the end of the day, even if, if you look at the photos, we're hugging at the end because the mutual respect was there. We knew that either one of us could win it on that day. And unfortunately it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> you've, you've had a lot of, 
I'm sure you've had a lot of matches that stand out in your mind over your career. Um, I think the one, the other one that obviously stands out to, I guess, casual fans is probably <laughs> the world final. I think it's such an iconic, was it like the first four seconds you went for the double leg grab? Yeah, uh, it, that was the, it. Was the world in Birmingham? That was. Oh, was that? Was, was that Birmingham? Maybe. Oh, I thought that was yeah, the world final in '97. Well, this again, no. world final in '97. I did throw for rip on, but it was like a backward kagaruma. Okay. And then um, the one that was four seconds was '99 in Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, this, so far this show has been absolutely. <laughs> it's oh, just yeah. showing that my memory is really good, though, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not losing my marbles. <laughs> um no okay so well let's change that 97 winning that world final what's that feeling yeah. like becoming world champion oh, it was immense. Like, like like everybody says what did it feel like and do you know what that whole day james i don't know how and i don't know why because i've tried to replicate it so many times <laughs> i knew i was going to win that day oh, I, really? I just knew yeah do you know everybody talks about you know the flow or you're in the groove or whatever that was my day and i knew Whatever was going on, I wasn't losing. I had the what you call it, the the Korean in the semi-final yeah. where I threw a flip on with a double leg grab, and then the final. Um, she was I fought her quite a few times the German, and she was very aware of the double leg grab. But I went Katagruma instead, and then she knew I was going to go upwards, but I flicked it backwards. And then when he said hip on, like I always said that I would never do some sort of celebration, but you can't help yourself. Like, I, I jumped over, I literally slapped the mat. You, you, you just go in a different, you're in a different warp or something. You don't know what you're doing. And like, amazing, amazing feeling. Because you know what it's like. Everybody strives to do that. And then to do it in France, in front of 15,000 people, like in the Bercy, it was amazing. It was like one of the best days of my life. Ah, that's, that's incredible. What? what fights I was going to ask like what fights stand out to you from your career like maybe not results but like what fights stand out to you is there are there any others you've think, not talked about where you go yeah you know I what? think that was the, my best. I think probably you know the, the nitty-gritty ones that you know that you possibly should be winning but you know they're going down to the wire and like on British shorts somebody like Mandy Costello bless her obviously had to retire before her time but the the fights that we used to have, because it was always going to be a hard fight and on home ground and the expectation because people are expecting you to win or they don't want you to win because you're the number one and things like that. It's just, they're the sorts of fights that, that I remember most, like that fight, the fight with fight with Mandy, fight with Sam Lowe. Um, it was a lot easier to fight abroad yeah. because of the expectation, even though one year world champion, there is expectation, but you know, it's, it's not as, it's not as bad as the expectation when you're fighting on home soil with somebody from Britain. So they, they were the ones that, that I remember most because, because they were hard, you know, and, and they're tough opponents like Mandy, Mandy gave me one hell of a fight one time, you know, you're just like, you're trying to finish it off and you can't. And she's just a youngster coming through as well. And, and was like never ending, just coming at me, coming at me, coming at me. So that, that's the sort of fight I remember. Amazing. Um, so I wanted to, obviously, I, there's so many questions I can ask you about your career, but um, I'm going to try and do a terrible tie together with the current 
situation. We've just come off a brand new set of rule changes uh, yeah. with the IGF. And obviously, they've been doing this for years. And like during mm-hmm. your career, they changed the weight categories from 66 to 70. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What, what's your feeling when that happens? Like, how do you respond to that? Well, I think they changed it. I won the Worlds at 66 and then they changed the weights. So I'm forever world champion at <laughs> 66. So I hold on to that. Oh, yeah, you yeah. lost world champion at 66 kilos? <laughs> yeah. Amazing. They changed it to 70. So I'm going to take that. But um, I think how you adjust, like 66 was probably perfect for me, even though at the beginning of my career, it probably would have been better at 70 because I did skip to 72 kilos when I was 66 for one games and then came down. Right. Yeah. Um, but you, you, it's just like anybody, you do adjust. You, you just get on with it, don't you? Um, the good thing for me was where I was at. It, was prob- it wasn't like it dropped to 63s. It, it, I couldn't have made 63s. It went up to 70s. So it just meant that I just had to put a little bit of weight on rather than lose a bit of weight. Yeah. Um, so you adjust. But obviously with the new rules coming in as well now, I think the only rule change went, well, actually, there was a few in terms of golden score and all that sort of stuff back in the day. Um, but the new rules coming in at the minute, I'm just like, oh, wow, that's quite confusing. Like, it was confusing anyway. But trying to, well, we'll see how they, how they kick off in Portugal in a couple of weeks. But it is really harsh. Like, some of them are really harsh. And like an old Coca is now Wazari sort of thing. And it just doesn't, I think personally, it's not making judo great to watch. Yeah, I, I mean, people are probably sick of me saying it. I uh, I think the scoring needs to change, partly because I think it, people become more defensive when there's everything on the line. In, mm. um, like, if everything means a Wazari and, and every Wazari is potentially losing the match, you yeah. people set up more I'd like to see him bring in, bring in the Yuko again, I think. I'm a Coco, you can give or take, but a Yuko, you know just to differentiate because sometimes you're, you're just falling slightly on your shoulder and it's a Rosario. And I'm like, it's yeah. never a Rosario. Not in old days, not in old schools. Um, but that no, can you've win- inspired that- me. I think bring back Hantai. Like, uh, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's a level of excitement <laughs> to it though, isn't there? There's a level yeah. of tension to Hantai. Yeah, exactly. Um, as you're looking from the two corners, you can't see yeah. the one behind you. Exactly. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to ask you was around lottery funding so your career um split kind of the period where lottery funding was Mm -hmm. introduced which i think is introduced after 96 after 97 yeah so you've kind of alluded to having a personally terrible olympics in 96 (laughs) but for gb it was awful like what was the what was the feeling going into atlanta and what was it like feeling going into it i'm not joking if you were to name a dream team james that would be a dream team <laughs> like like for women you had joyce at 48 you had sharon Rendell, you had nick febrile you had diane bell you had rowena you had me and you had michelle rogers and even on the men's side you had nigel uh graham ryan like yeah. you had some big names like in, in the men and the women. So it's a bit of a dream team. And then it started off heavies to lights for this time for Atlanta. It didn't go lights to heavies, went heavies to lights. And then just day after day, it was just going wrong. Like the people that you'd expect to get medals just didn't get medals. And that wasn't because they didn't put the work in before. Me personally, I was lazy. I didn't put the work in before. I can hold my hands up now. I'm big enough and old enough to say that. 
but you had people in there that are trained so hard but it just didn't happen for some reason or another it didn't happen and we should have walked away from that games with about five medals i'm sure we should have done but we didn't um unfortunately it didn't happen for for one reason or another um so yeah that's why i was like oh, atlanta like I always put that down as a, a bit of a black notch for me. Like, so that's just. Was just there was there a reason that you again you you've said you perhaps didn't have the right attitude or you didn't put the right. I, yeah, I I wasn't. I was. I came out of ninety two as a bronze medalist as a kid, basically thinking I knew it all. I was too cocky. Didn't train hard enough. Um, I didn't. I wasn't with Roy anymore. Um, so I didn't have that personal guidance. Um, and I just, I blew it probably at the best time of my life. I blew when I should have really been, should have been winning a gold medal, if I'm honest. Oh, wow. Um, because I was, I was too cocky resting on my laurels. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm Olympic bronze medalist already. I can do this. It's easy, but obviously it's not. So that's where, that's where I am with it. Um, and it's my own fault really. Um, shouldn't shouldn't have been as lazy as I was definitely yeah but I can't speak for others but the the team itself obviously as, as we've already said has, has had some massive names in there and it, for yeah. some one reason or another it didn't work um and that's not down I'm not going to say it's down to the coaches or anything that's just down to the individuals I think you've you've said you're aware of it now um, were you aware of it of the time? Be and I ask that because you then go on to win the worlds the next year. Like, is it something that gives you the? Well, kick obviously, up the I, I came, yeah, it did kick, give me a kick up the ass. I, I came back from there and obviously distraught. I probably stopped for a good two or three months. I was like, no, I don't want to do this anymore. I go and get a, a normal job. Uh, and then Roy spoke to me. He said, "Look, come on, we'll uh, you can come up to Pharaoh and when we do." one-on-one -on -one sessions and stuff and sort of made a plan um and then yeah the rest is history so i sort of went back with roy and then won the worlds what eight months later because i was training <laughs> i was i was doing it properly so you know it's my own fault that atlanta didn't go well but the biggest learning curve for me because it gave me a massive back kick up the backside i then went on to win the worlds and again, coming back to this point, like during that time, um, lottery funding's introduced. Mm -hmm. um, like what was the impact that had for you as a, as a full-time? Yeah, well, obviously pre, I can remember going to 92 and having to sign on the dole, um, like everybody did if they wanted to train. And then before 96, obviously, you, you got sports aid foundation in them days you didn't have lottery so you're just trying to make ends meet and doing odd odd things here and there to try and bring some money in and then end of 97 lottery came in um <clears throat> but after sorry i should say after 92 um i then went to work part-time at my mom's company they're really good to me actually that even though I would miss weeks here and there and everywhere, they would still pay me. So I, I always had that money coming in yeah. as a part-time pay, um, which meant I could then drive up to Heathrow and give Roy a bit of money for coaching and stuff. And then I won the Worlds and it just happened to be the right time that um, the lottery came in and, and that was it. So I had like a good 10 years of my career 
on the lottery off lottery and then what was it 97 to 2004 so a seven years eight years on lottery does it so it makes a massive help obviously yeah. because you don't have to worry you, you can pay your rent you can pay your bills you can put some petrol in your car to get you to train in and stuff so it was a massive help huge help and and the the systems kind of only uh, developed from then since then i guess so like are you do you look at athletes now where you've been coaching is there, are there things that you wish you would have had as an athlete <laughs> i wish that i had everything that they've got now if you're in the national center obviously it's a full-time center uh, but if you're in the national center you've got access to psychologists you've got nutrition you've got lifestyle You've got your APA coming in, you, you're fully funded to go all around the world sort of thing, which wasn't necessarily the same as when lottery first came in or even pre-lottery, obviously. Yeah. Didn't even know what a nutritionist was back in the day. I just used to <laughs> live on a Mars bar and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's like I look at them now and and it's what I try not to do is say, oh, back in the day, you know, because they don't want to hear that. But sometimes they don't understand how if they're in that setup how lucky they are it's only the people on the outside that know how lucky that they are because yeah. they're not in it um somebody like skelly that went out to work and was training i don't know to be a mechanic and stuff and then obviously started losing his sight so he's been in the real world a little bit as well so he understands what he is what yeah. he has got and he's so thankful for it you know it's you know, you, you don't know what you've got until it's taken away. Yeah. So I'd, I'd love to have been, I'd love to be a player or a fighter in this day and age as well, because you can also go out on the circuit and you, for winning tournaments, you win money as well. So, yeah. you know, you can make a little bit of a living. No, I love that. Do you think, do you think there's anything now that like disrupts their performance? Um. <laughs> the flip side of what I've just said, probably having things too easy yeah. could disrupt it. So sometimes, I don't know, it doesn't make them mentally tough and things like that. You know, you ask yourself that question because if you don't strive for something, if it's given to you too easy, then you don't know what it is to strive. And then when it comes to a crunch of some some final somewhere, have you got the mental ability to to fight for something? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, you know, it's 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 a flip side to everything, is it? You want to make everything as easy as possible for anybody to achieve their their dreams, but are you taking away some of the realities that will make them strive for something as well? Yeah, the the environment that creates yeah. that kind of skill set, that resilience and toughness. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Cool. Um, uh, we are going to get around to coaching at some point, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I wanted to ask, uh, like you. You fought in front of a British crowd in the 99 Worlds. What was that like? Yeah. Oh, it was amazing. Like, it was in Birmingham, in the NIA. Um, it's it's great to be on home. So I can't like the fighters that are going to be fighting in the Commonwealth Games this year. It's going to be immense for them because the, the home crowd is, is unbelievable. Um, and obviously winning a medal as well. And I think Graham Randall won the Worlds that day as well. Yeah. So the, the crowd was buzzing. Um which was really good. It's like you don't you don't normally get that sort of buzz at a British champ like at a British competition. So to have like a Europeans or a Worlds in Britain is is huge. Amazing. And then I think you you've mentioned the Commonwealth Games, and I know you missed out on Manchester 
um, mm-hmm. around selection. Is that something you look back on? Uh, I don't, regret's not the right word. Is it an event you wish you'd, you'd got in the bag or? Of course. Yeah, of course. Like you've, you've got, I don't know, like Sally, for example, or uh, yeah, Sally, she's got every medal, like including a Commonwealth one. Yeah. Um, and I can never say that. So of course there's always a little bit of niggle in your head that thinks, oh, I wish I'd done a Commonwealth, but you know, history is history and it didn't happen. Um, but you know, part of me thinks, well, that's that like nudged me on to, uh, to Athens and then I carried a flag. So, you know, it, everything happens for a reason, I believe. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons was I was all ready to probably retire after Manchester, but it kept me going. Uh, for another two years till 2004 so you know it it happened for a reason and that's history amazing okay and then so that that brings us i guess to the end of you as a player and again there's so much more we could go into i'm sure uh one of the two listeners (laughs) will get in touch and say why didn't you ask her this Um, (laughs) but how did you find the transition away from being a player um but staying in judo, like, did you need, looking back, would you like to take in a gap at that stage or was mm. staying in judo the right thing? Yeah, I think looking back at it now, I would have loved to have taken a gap because I've only, only now since I finished that I've got the gap. Um, and also I think it refreshes and revitalizes you. But had I taken the gap, I wouldn't have had the opportunities that I've had to be employed and to work my way through the system of British judo so again it happens for a reason um had I taken a gap who knows what would have happened I might not have even been in judo yeah so it's one of them where I do ask myself all the time oh god I've gone from from being a fighter straight into coaching and done 32 years on the road so uh, you know it's one of them that I ask myself probably more so now that I've finished um than I ever did at the time because at the time you're just like yeah I'll go straight into it but probably possibly should have taken a break okay yeah no I think it's uh it's an interesting one because you you, again you've had such a long career within judo Mm. um I I just find it interesting if you go oh yeah maybe six months here away in a different industry or something mm. i wonder if you'd gone yeah that would have been refreshing and it'd, i'd have come yeah. back but again the fact is you you then stayed in judo from 2004 to well now 17 more years as a coach yeah um, exactly. which of itself is an incredible achievement um i think i wanted to ask so coming into 2012 you are mm. back part of the team gb setup what's it like going back to an olympic games as a coach having been a been a player at that level mental <laughs> so <laughs> it's the same like you get the same buzz as a coach that you do as an athlete not quite the same buzz but a buzz still but more nerves because especially walking out to that olympic final Gemma's fighting and Gemma's in control of her own actions I'm not in any sort of control so walking out to my own Olympic final it was about me and I can control what's going on but as a coach 
you know something you say could could change it but you're not in control so it's a really weird feeling but it's still a massive massive buzz like i can't I, it's hard to explain it's like it's, it's and especially because it was london as well and the crowd like it was huge like yeah. huge like, Got, again that london cycle um is off the back of two games where there's been no medals so 2004 2008 and again arguably 2004 2008 you're in that same maybe situation as as you've described 96 you look back at those teams and go how did they not come mm. away with the medal they're incredible teams mm. um going into 2012 are you aware of the pressure to get a medal yeah i think more so as a coach you are you're more aware of the expectation than you are as a as a fighter as a fighter or a player you're just it's horrible to say but you're selfish aren't you it's about you so you don't you're not really paying any attention to to um you've got to get a medal here or whatever or uk sport funding or anything like that it's only as a coach that you start to understand that so obviously going into london there were some medal targets for national lottery and you know as the days went along people weren't getting medals and you know we had some some as you say we had some big fighters in there as well ewan was probably expected to do a little bit better than he did um and then you get Gemma that's not got a care in the world happy sort of to be there and has the day of her life which then has a roll-on effect of karina the next day so you end up coming home with two you know it's it's as a coach, you're thinking, yeah, it's sort of job done. Um, but you do go into it thinking, oh, you know, we need this to get some funding to keep British judo afloat and stuff like that. So you don't look at it like that as a fighter. Being being Matt's side on those two dates, like being in the coaching chair, like what what's that experience like when you, you see the ball starting to roll, when you see, yeah, Gemma and Karina um, performing amazing and they've got the answers and they're coming up like what's it like being in the chair for that uh it's amazing because in the the chair if if the balls are rolling like you say you don't really have to do that much you're just guiding whereas you probably get slightly more animated when it does start going wrong yeah um and then obviously with the role change you can only shout during mate and everything like that but um you know that the day the way the days went the, mo- the momentum just built and built and built and built so that by the end of the day for the final block everybody was absolutely buzzing um but then as a from a coaching perspective it's trying not to get too excited and trying to trying to bring Gemma down a little bit because she's still got another fight even though she's just won the semi that's not the end of the day yeah you know so it's trying to control you've got so many different things going on in your head you're trying to you're trying to multitask and keep her away from press and trying to get people away from her because people are going, oh, it's fantastic. But you're like, Jim, you've got one more. You've got one more fight. You know, just, just keep it calm. Yeah. Your thumb's killing you. I know your thumb's killing you. You can do something afterwards, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's it's just trying to keep a lid on everybody getting excited. And it probably wouldn't have been so bad if it wasn't London. Yeah. But because it was London everybody and everybody speaks english everybody's shouting and you know it's it's it was a difficult thing to manage but an absolutely brilliant thing to manage why obviously so 
Gemma gets an incredible result there. Karina gets an incredible result there. Leads into Rio, mm -hmm. um, where Sally puts together some of the most incredible performances as well. Like, how does Rio compare to London? Um, I don't think, if, in all honesty, I've done eight Olympics, haven't I? Nothing compares to London. Like, because London was London in its home soil, in its Olympic Games, that it's really unfair to judge anything on London. <laughs> um, I think from at Rio, um, there was all the, you know, health-wise and stuff, that what was going on, was, was it, I can't, it wasn't dengue fever or something something else, wasn't it, that was going on. It wasn't, wasn't the same atmosphere or anything like that because it wasn't home soil, but um, that doesn't mean to say that the Brits weren't shouting just as loud that were there. Um, and the performance that Sally put in was absolutely amazing. That's to come out of that, um, that hold down with a man to then hold a man down. Like you couldn't write it. You genuinely couldn't write it. And it, and it happened, you know, and she, she had a great day and, you know, that was the one thing emotionally, like, cause I've been with Sally since, since the start emotionally that, that day for her was probably one of my greatest days of, of being in and around coaching as well, because I've watched her come through from a kid to fall short at so many major tournaments to then win an Olympic bronze medal. You know, it was, it was like, it was one of my, in my top three of coaching, put it that way. Do you, do you feel like some kind of connect, not just as a coach, um, but for me, I see there, I'm just trying to say. So I think British men have always been incredibly strong at 60 kilos, you know, and mm -hmm. you can almost see a pathway through. And I, I feel the same, really. I, th I think there's like a, you can identify the, the path through women at 70 kilos, you know, from Sally and yeah. Gemma. And I know Gemma won at 78, but for a long time, it, the rivalry yeah. was between her and Sally. And then obviously had Megan. Um, do you, connect them to your own career as a as a player um or is that, is that, a, little is that a terrible question because i, I see it i see not, a clear like, a terrible question it's not a terrible question but i probably don't connect them to my own career but what i do connect is i connect them to my coaching career yeah because each and every one of them i've been around them since they were 13 14 years old to then go and achieve something you know, that, that's, that's massive, you know, even for Megan to leave, to go to Ireland, to then get, get to an Olympic games and then start winning Grand Prix medals and stuff, you know, it's amazing. And I don't know, it's like, it makes me feel a little bit warm inside that I've, I've been part of that journey. Um, so that I would, wouldn't connect it to my own career because everybody's career is everybody's career, but I connect it to my coaching career Yeah, because of, I've been with them since day, same as Gemma Howe, since day dot, I've been with them, sort of thing. I love that. Um, and I guess that kind of brings us uh, to Tokyo and me, yeah, maybe starting to wrap up because I really realise it's gone <laughs> on for ages now. But like, what what's Tokyo like as an Olympic experience? Like watching it, it felt unusual because it felt muted. Mm. Like there was no one in the stands. And yeah. I think everybody pre covid was excited about tokyo because judo's mm. going back to its home we're expecting it to be this incredible occasion like um 
that reverence about yeah. what's going to happen. Like, how did it feel being there? It was, I'm not going to lie, it was different. Um, and having been to a few, it, it wasn't the same sort of buzz in the village or anything um, because there was nobody in the crowd. There was no friends and family. If anything, I felt, I felt really sorry for those that, that had honed that it possibly their first games or possibly even their last games because they haven't had a true experience of what an Olympic Games is about. Um, that doesn't mean to say they didn't enjoy it, but it could have or should have been so much better had the pandemic not happened. But the saving grace is that it did happen. And obviously Chelsea had a great day and, and won a medal. But um, I still feel that anybody that went to that Olympic Games is, was cheated of the true experience because no crowd and you're in your bubble and you have to leave the village two days after you fought. You couldn't do the closing or opening ceremony because you won well, the closing ceremony because you, you were back home and the opening ceremony because there was a fear of getting COVID. You know, it was just very clinical and 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 hard, really. It was It was really hard, but, you know, it had to be like that for anything to happen. Yeah, and again, the fact that there was an Olympic Games, you know, I, in these rarest of circumstances, you know, I think it's, a, it's really good that it happened. It, it certainly kept me, this side of the pond, mm. excited and busy, but it did feel very different. Yeah, um, it was very stressful, put it that way. And like British Olympic Association and staff at British Studio just to get a team out there like worked tremendously hard and credit where credit's due to everybody that that put the work in to get the team out it was good it was good work I love it um why again more general questions now why are British women so strong or traditionally why have we been so <laughs> strong at judo and and why have we got such a uh, such strength at the moment um it's a good question because like the tradition is obviously we have always been pretty good and I think back in the day it was because we were a bit of ahead of the game in terms of video analysis and stuff like that and Roy knew what he was doing but obviously that's carried on through but I think the biggest thing that we as a women's team that are trained we train with young boys and if you're not training with somebody that's slightly better or slightly stronger you're never going to improve so not on an everyday basis, we've got a strong group of girls training full time at the centre, but we've also got young lads coming into that group to push yeah. the girls. So it's not always it's not always stale. Um, and it was the same with me when when I was competing. I'd I'd, I'd be training with boys at Dartford Judo Club. I should say young men actually, but you know you, you you're only as good as what you train with. So if you've got a strong training group that you that you're in you're only going to be as good as that, which is strong anyway. But then if you start adding to it with, with young young boys to push you, then uh, then that's the case. And that's why British judo, and for, for the guys that we've got in British judo, they need to get out, as well as the women, they need to get out to do uh, international randori as well because you need to get pushed to improve. Yeah. No, I love that. I think... Yeah, I think you're right. You, we've got such a strong group of women at the moment, um, and yeah, you, you 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 see that in Chelsea's medal. You see that in some of the results recently. Mm. But yeah, the the people they've got around them to train them must be a 
well, it must be a great group. It must be great to be part of that group. Yeah, of course, it's great to be part of it, but obviously you've got new people coming into that that yeah. do find it really hard at the beginning as well until they're at that level. Um, so sometimes it can be off-putting because you're getting, you're getting handed it every day, but obviously the more you stick in, stick in with it you're going to improve and you're going to be on a level playing field once you're integrated into that group but it's hard at first and like judo isn't it's not soft anyway is it um, you've you've obviously just come to the end of your time with british judo um yeah. what are your what are your best memories um as a player as a coach what are the things that stand out and i'm sure we've talked about some today but what yeah. maybe it's not the results what are the things you remember and you're going to miss? Um, I think as a player, probably achieving what my dad always said that I would, even when I was a youngster, he said I was going to be world champion. So actually winning the Worlds and him being there was probably my highlight. Um, and then as a coach, um, it's a really weird one because like it's probably junior stuff because me and Darren Warner are obviously junior coaches for a bit and you know like Gemma Howe winning a junior world medal um at 57 kilos and remember Luke Taylor he got a bronze yeah, at that yeah. one as well um you know we had some great tournaments with Ashley Ashley winning under 23 medals and junior European medals so you know it, it's it's the younger ones that you remember because it's sort of it's 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 the first rung of the ladder as a coach because you're starting to you're starting to get players to win at that level before you then obviously you've got the Sallies winning Olympic medals and you know Gemma Gibbons obviously is a special one because it was in London you know like it's but if anything probably the most standout is is Gemma Howe winning that junior junior bronze medal and that rostrum was outrageous it had Turk, uh, Tina Turkenstadt it had silver. You know, it was the the rostrum. You look at it now, and you think, "Oh my god!" You know, <laughs> they've gone on to be Olympic champions. Yeah. So it's like unreal. That's crazy. Um, what what are you not gonna miss? What are you going? Oh, I'm, I'm I've walked away from that as a as a the travel. As a oh really? The travel. Yeah. Um, I, well, I say that I'm actually missing it because I'm not traveling, but <laughs> it's um yeah the travel, not just the travel abroad it was also the travel up to Warsaw because I lived down in London so yeah. even during the week I wasn't at home so I miss that's what I'm I don't, I don't miss the travel um but obviously I was missing being at home and I'm at home now but it's just always it's, it's, it's the better the devil you know isn't it it's like okay yeah now now I'm at home what am I going to do um yeah. so you know I'm loving it at the moment and I've, I've done a month of uh, pickups and drop-offs at nursery, oh, brilliant. Um, <laughs> which, which is good. So just a bit of normality um, and then trying to find out or trying to work out what my next move is in terms of what I'm doing. But I definitely don't miss the travel. That's for sure. Are you, are you going to stay in touch with judo? Are you intending to do any coaching or? Um... I will be involved in some sort of way, but I don't know what sort of way just yet if that makes any sense I, I, it's in my blood James I can't walk away from judo yeah I, was I, knew there was, I know there was squad training at the weekend and part of me was not I just pop up and say hello <laughs> then I'm like no it's too soon it's too soon um, so it, it's in me so I'm never going to be able to walk away and I've got some great friends 
got some great friends in judo and you're not going to have 32 years in it and not have great friends so yeah you know what, there's um, what what's next for you do you are you just finding your way or are you know what's I'm going just fine just no genuinely hand on heart finding my way um I've got a few people funny enough want to talk to me um so I've got a few talks and presentations coming up um about my journey and leadership and things like that and I'll go from there really but I want to get into something. I, I love people development. I love helping people succeed in what they want to succeed in. So I'm not quite sure what that sort of coaching anyway, but I'm not sure where I'll be or what I'll be doing, but um, I just need to find my way a little bit at the moment. No, I love that. And then um, within judo, like, is there anything you're excited to, to see over the next couple of years? Will you be stick the IGF circuit on or the commies I will I don't think I can't I don't think I won't be able to <laughs> I, I mean I, I even said in this I said yeah we've got uh Portugal in a couple of weeks that's the yeah, first one in the year <laughs> it's now a Grand Prix it's not just a continental open and you know we've got Gemma Howe fighting at 63 she hasn't fought at 63 for years you know there's Kelly obviously KPP that I was working with before I left you know I'm, I'm going to be watching them all be watching it all to see where they're going and what they're doing because obviously they're still contacting me as well because you know we're friends we've got natalie powell as well that obviously isn't in the center but probably speak to her every other week you know it's you know i've got friends in judo so i'm never going to be able to walk away and i'm definitely i'm too nosy not to keep looking <laughs> i can't help it it's ingrained in me i can't help it I mean, you're talking to me about the rules. I shouldn't even know the rules, James. <laughs> I do know the new rules. I've, I've gone through it. I've looked at the video. Like, why am I doing that? Ah, <laughs> uh, no, I love that, Kate. And it is, it is, it's hard to just step away, isn't it? Especially as it's been such a big part of your life. No, but yeah. I love, that's amazing. Um, I'm sure, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap it up there. Was there anything else you, you'd want to you wanna say? Is there anything else you'd say to a young athlete coming through? Put you on the spot there. Um, I think any young athlete coming through, it is hard and judo is getting tougher and tougher, but stick with it because you never know what tomorrow is going to bring. Um, I had a bit of a few years where I didn't train hard enough and I paid the price. So, you know, just, just stay with it and the good times will come. Kate, that has been amazing. Absolutely love chatting to you. Thank you so much for coming on. Um at all. If people, are you on social media or anything? If people want to follow you or get in touch? Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram. Couldn't even tell you what my accounts are. <laughs> um, I should have prepped you at the start. But... Yeah, one second. My account on Insta is, Twitter is just khowiemba. Love it. Um, and then Insta is kate.howie.mbe. Love it. I am, I'm sure, uh, yeah, if people want to get in touch, I'm sure they will do. They'll follow you. Um, everybody will be wishing you the best of luck in, in wherever you go next. And uh, I'm fairly sure as well it's a, an exciting time, a nervous time for you to be off on doing something new. <laughs> Yeah, or not, as the case may <laughs> <laughs> But no, thanks, James. It's been a pleasure. It's been, nah, a pleasure. It's been absolutely amazing. I'll uh, I'll I'll send another begging uh, message. I think as we get caught towards the uh, Commonwealth Games, going, go on, Kate, come back on. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Um, absolutely amazing. Thank you so much. I will no worries. catch you soon. All the best. Yeah. All right. Take care.